Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. This podcast is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day all right around the corner, BetOnline has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to BetOnline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE. All one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Blue Wire. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up to the left. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cleveland Cavaliers select Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. Here comes Sexton. Do you know what the Cavs fans are calling the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton backcourt? What? Sexland. Oh, that's good. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm your host, Justin Rowe, with my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? Not too bad, man. We out here, as the kids say. We out here. We we are a 500 team with Andre Drummond. We are a 500 team in the JB Bickerstaff era. How are you feeling? I'm thinking playoffs, Justin. Let me just say, I've really enjoyed Zavak's bit on Twitter recently, where he's uh, pretending to be a hyper-optimistic fan. Oh, he's pretending to be me. He's uh, trying to be an exaggerated me, and the side chat with the whole bit has been one of my favorite parts of it. But yes, I, I'm really, really a fan of this bit, and I'm I want to give a little inside for all the people listening to the podcast, a little inside baseball here. Um, but I tweeted eight and a half games out with the eyes emoji uh, after the win against the Wizards, and David immediately jumped on that as he is wont to do. Um, Immediately after that, I let him in on the secret in the DMs, which is I'm going to keep that thread going after every single Cavs game, no matter how ludicrous it gets, even long after 
we are eliminated from the playoff picture. I, I just thought that that was a funny bit that made me laugh. And I, I enjoyed the genuine frustration David gets that his biggest tweets are these mock tweets where he's just trying to be a hyper optimist and he always gets someone sincere being like, this is the type of optimism we need right now. It's actually mean if you think about it through that prism. Like David's <laughs> trying to do a bit at the expense of these poor people who just like like the calves yep. and don't want to think about it beyond that. Like we're the morons that, that like pay, pay close enough attention to be upset about it. And and, he, and it's his most popular tweets. That's that's the best part about it. Let's uh let's start tweeting. At, let's start uh, bullying Matt Moore and ask him what the Cavs magic number is. Oh, that that's a great idea. I love because he that. loves magic number tweets. He <laughs> he tweeted that Houston clinched the tiebreaker with Utah with 27 games left on the schedule. Oh my god. And he said, and I quote, this period is period big. <laughs> you know what? I prefer that to like the well, this guy's a free agent in two years, so let's discuss that. I I will I will I accept magic numbers. <laughs> I think it's sweet. It is. And, and and I'm being patronizing here, but it I don't I'm not like lying either. Like I'm patronizing him, but also I think it's lovely that Matt Moore is like, holy shit. <laughs> hey, you're trying to sell the regular season, right? Like that's, that's what we need to do. Oh, we need to. Speaking of patronizing, can we talk about when horse, uh, Oh something yeah. Good, something good happens. Fun happens every day in the NBA. It's like, <laughs> it's like someone literally took him in a room and played the podcast we did about how we hate the league is covered. And he's, <laughs> way overcorrecting oh no he he was uh he was dming me he's let me know that he's making a, a conscious effort uh because what? of our podcast so i'm i'm glad that we continue to well, be listen, case mason Le- yeah, it's hard and bo listen to me Levitard and bomani listen to me makes only sense that win horse would listen to you I, I like that you went with Bo uh, as someone Bo is such by a Beaumont. shit bag way to refer to bomani jones <laughs> It's like it's a familiarity you don't deserve. You know? No, no, you you really, really don't. Um, I did I do, it with intent. <laughs> I do want to launch into the hiring of JB Bickerstaff because I who uh, JB Bickerstaff. Oh, what, what what was the who? Did you honestly not hear me? No, I was just doing a, a bet. <laughs> okay, good God! At least let me in on your bits before you launch into them. <laughs> Anyways, he is not the I'm interim slap coach. Happy. He is yeah, not the interim sure coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He is the full-time head coach. Um, well, I, if you're well, going as to... As you d- know, Justin, it was a succession plan. Um, painstakingly crafted uh, and being executed to its uh, fullest potential right now. Hey, if there's one thing I know about the Cavs is whatever team building philosophy they have, having a succession plan is always a big part of it. We've drafted back-to-back point guards. You always want to have that next guy waiting in the wing. Um, I, I do think the culture. <laughs> I've I've decided that I am going to. I don't know if stands the right word, but I'm going to be a Bickerstaff defender here, just because be exhausting. It, it is. It really is. But another peel back the curtain moment. Absolutely. Uh, Justin, Justin, in our podcast Discord that you can get access to. It's a group chat that you can get access to by leaving a rating, a review uh, for the Chase Down Pod, and uh, emailing a screen grab of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. In that very Discord chat, 
Justin said something along the lines of, I feel like the win against Washington was the first one you could directly attribute to the coach. Yeah. Oh, my God. My eyes rolled out of my head. I let you have it in the moment. Carter, feel for the game. He understood that you got to ride the hot hand. He knows what the players want. He knows what they need. And, and that win was all coaching, Carter. That, that, oh. That's exactly what that was. Or Colin Anyways. Sexton got hot in the fourth quarter. <laughs> hey, Darius Garland also had a good fourth quarter. That was, yeah, a, it was that a was fun a, game. That was a great fourth quarter for Sexland. Um, I don't want – while deriding you, I want to make it clear. I don't want to deride that win, which was super fun. Yes. Um, and, uh, and mostly featured stuff that, you know, is very encouraging moving forward. I just think you're an asshole. <laughs> right. And I, I also have the memory of a goldfish. That's why I can talk myself into um, this season being fun at, at any moment. I just need one just win. Need, need three, four games in a row. That, that's all I really need at this point. Hey, we won back-to-back games. That was great. But no, Morton and I share a philosophy that there is nothing that us fans know less about than coaching. Everyone will critique hires. Nate McMillan got absolutely blasted, or Indy got blasted for hiring him, um, saying that he's not a very good coach, and he turned out to do a very good job there in Indiana. Doc Rivers has kind of isol- or uh, gone back and forth from being a bad coach to a great coach to a bad coach to a great coach. We don't know what we're talking about. And when it comes to rebuilding teams, the guy that starts off the rebuild normally never survives it. And I'm not even going to count Bayline here. <laughs> but if Bickerstaff can at least connect with these players and they like him um, and it creates a slightly better environment, I will take that for a couple of years here. I, I'm sure the secession plan for the next step is already uh, in the works. But getting if Bickerstaff can at least get them to the hump, which I think he's capable of doing, I will be happy with that. What I'm hearing out of you, Justin, is that the Cavs are just two games into the rebuild. We are just so, two games so, into the rebuild. So they're really tracking really well, um, given that they're two games into the rebuild and already sitting at a 500 team in the Cavaliers rebuilding era. Um, so that's really cool. I want to double back uh, to this whole um, oh succession plan because we haven't been mean enough about this. We have not. Um, I just find <laughs> either either they're lying to us and are jerks or like who in the Cavaliers organization really thinks that they're thinking eight years ahead of the game? Here's the thing, Carter. It's the funny thing about the funny thing about spin. It, you would in an ideal world, how you spin something is supposed to make you feel better. If what they are saying is accurate, that actually makes me feel worse. That, that makes it more that makes it more understandable. But you know what it is? It is something that you can say to the fans that are less plugged in that don't follow us on a day-to-day basis. And I feel like that's something people can buy. Uh, it's it's us, the sickos, that are always going to be there that will roll our eyes at this. But I, I feel in general that that's a message that plays, even though there's no reason for it to. Yeah, I, I just can't wait for the reporting link that leak that they are actually um, planning on promoting Mike Garrity 14 years from now. It's all in uh, Kobe Altman's 27-year plan uh, for the <laughs> franchise. What the fuck are they t- trying to sell us here? Like, <laughs> lie to me better if you're going to lie to me. And if it's the truth, that's worse. 
So I, it's just hilarious that they, and I do think if anything, it's just a way to justify giving Bickerstaff his, you know, uh, his not interim label, which yeah. by the way, doesn't mean anything. No, I, I mean, every Cavs coach is interim. In, yeah. In and like, way. even if it wasn't like, if they, if they don't like him, they'll fire him just like everyone else, especially <laughs> since they're not paying Beeline anymore. One, one thing I do want to point out when it comes to Bickerstaff, uh, a criticism of him has been in the past that he's leaned heavily on veterans and um, sometimes not played young guys as much as you'd want for a rebuilding team. This is also a guy that has been an interim coach twice and for large stretches of those seasons. And when you're an interim coach and you're trying to get that head coaching job, going with the more proven options and doing everything you can to get that contract is something that's really understandable. The other thing with the Cavs is there isn't a veteran option for their young guys. Their young guys are all guards. Um, The only real change I've seen with the rotation when it comes to the guards um, is that Delavadova is actually playing less. It seems like he's um, giving Dante Exum more of an opportunity, which I think is something you and I are both happy about. But I'm not going to freak out over those type of things until they actually start occurring here, because otherwise you're stressing yourself out for no reason. Yeah, I mean, and this is an important thing to note. I think you're taking us to a good spot of, like, we're not here to, you know, shit on uh, – jb bickerstaff like we don't even know him as we've noted more uh correctly notes that we have very little idea and insight into what goes on with the coach really all we can care about from a fan perspective um based on the information we have is whether guys are playing hard and like the guy you know like for so for beeline like okay we knew uh we knew that this was failing you hear chatter you hear public you know you, you read articles and, okay, they hate this guy, they don't respect him, and he's out of his depth. Okay, let's move on. Um, Bickerstaff, I'll be pretty surprised if we'll see any reporting like that. You know, um, it, if, if anything, his negatives as a coach will primarily be just being milquetoast and not, uh, you know, particularly impactful on building the program and just kind of doing yeah. coach stuff and that's it. Yeah, he, he'll um, be uh, – He's likely a below-average NBA coach. He, I, but yeah, really. I mean, he's Cavs an NBA coach, unlike Bayline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Cavs fans don't know this, actually, because um, uh, all their hires are hilarious. Um, but most coaches don't matter. Um, and it's really much more about you know, front office infrastructure, player development, and culture, uh, which some of which is set by the coach, some of which isn't. You know, there's a lot more Scotty Brooks in the world than you'd think. Mm-hmm. that no, uh, I agree. you know can win with talent and don't win with bad talent you know and um, it's also not one guy that's coaching it's often the importance of the entire coaching staff a lot of those tasks and responsibilities are delegated amongst the staff and we're never really uh allowed in the loop on, on what those delegations are um what who has what responsibility um, but we just assign it all to to one guy that uh, we, we view as being in control of everything. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get frustrated with, with Baker Sapp as time goes on. Uh, and I'm sure we won't have all the context. I do feel for the guy. He's been an interim coach twice. Uh, taking over midseason is pretty impossible to put your stamp on a team beyond getting them to play harder. Um, you know, uh, obviously the Cavs have a very notable exception that in Ty Lue, who took over for Blatt and ended up winning a title. But – 
the Cavs didn't fundamentally change their identity. No. Um, they just played for a guy who wasn't an asshole. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, they're in a really weird spot with this coaching situation. I mean, I guess the charitable way to look at it is if they do keep him around, at least you're building towards something. But they'd better be damn sure they're right because we really – well, you know, what I guess they can't afford because they're already at the bottom – both as an organization and as a raw, as a, you know, product on the floor, mm-hmm. but they, it feels like they really can't afford to be in January of 2021 and think, ah, oh, shit, we might have to fire JB. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, and, you know what and, I mean, and that feels not unlikely. And that is a problem. No. And that also goes to the, constant factors here or at least the consistent factors which is the veterans that played a part in this getting as bad as it did uh the issues with the front office that are likely still going to be in place and it's going to take time to realize uh before we realize whether or not those factors are changing whether or not the the veterans are playing a little harder um whether or not the the front office acts more normally the, the, these are things that we can't know until we actually cross that bridge i do want to get yeah. a tristan thompson's quote though about bickerstaff did, did you have a chance to see it i would like you to read it to me because i don't remember exactly what it was all right and we also do this for people listening to the podcast so that uh, yeah i was kind of wondering why you were <laughs> why, well i, I why just you want... took that angle but i like you <laughs> you know what i wanted a break because i had talked for a little while and you know me i i have trouble talking for an extended period of time before I start slurring and falling apart. So I wanted to give myself a chance to get a breath, and now you've deprived me of that opportunity. Yeah, well, you didn't need to monologue so much in your self-defense, but it's fine. (laughs) So Tristan's Tristan's quote is, he can read people, he can read their energy, and is good with personalities. That's how the NBA is. The coaches that are successful in this league are coaches who know how to relate to the players and if they don't give a player relationship, they are usually, uh, and they don't have a player relationship, they are usually one smart effing coach. Guys like JB, guys like Ty Lu, Doc Rivers, those guys, they know how to deal with players, talk to players, and have a relationship. Even Steve Kerr, those guys know. They know the, the players, who they can push, who they can yell at, and who they have to love, and who they have to criticize with love. That's what the league is. It's changing. I... This was I'm gonna get in trouble here. Uh, oh my god! But I wonder what was different from Steve Kerr to those other guys that made him say even Steve Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even that guy. It's an important car- conversation, Carter. I'm glad we're having it. Oh, I'm just saying. Uh, some subtext to be picked up on. Don't cancel um, me, please. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, uh, that. I feel that like kind of reflects on Bayline, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like anytime anyone gives this kind of um, gives this kind of quote, it very rarely has much to do with the uh, coach that's coming in, and yeah, everything to do with the coach who's on the way out. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's clear he couldn't relate. I mean, I do think I know we're trying to mostly move forward here, but I do think it's important. We haven't potted since before he actually formally stepped down. Yeah. Um, I think we should play a little blame game. Okay. Um, I kind of want – so if we are assessing failure um, uh, of, the, of the Beeline era in practice, so uh, assuming that the hire was going to happen, 
Uh, so I would like to extricate Dan Gilbert and Kobe Altman from this conversation. Okay. And more uh, evaluate, you know, do an autopsy on the, what actually happened. Uh, who, what percentage of the blame would you put on the players and what percentage would you put on Beeline? Man, I, I think it's a pretty even split. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad you feel this way because I do think there's a, I think there is uh much more anti beeline stuff happening. And it's also, you know, partially our fault because some of his anecdotes are hilarious. Like trying to get them to practice on Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bickerstaff isn't scheduling a practice on Christmas. <laughs> my favorite part of that when I was joking about that was all these moron tryhards getting in my mentions going, I don't really see the big problem with that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's practice. Did you see Christmas. the uh, the quote from a uh, West Virginia player plans. who said that um, Bayline, when he was there, appealed the NCAA because you're supposed to give the team a day off uh, between practices. And he convinced them that if there's 24 hours between practices, that counts as a, a day off. So they would practice seven days a week. Insane. What a what a guy! Yeah, but, but yeah, so I, I wonder how he had trouble uh, yeah. with time management going from seven practices a week to one or two a month, which you get in the NBA. Yeah, well, so let's talk about. I'm sorry, I it totally derailed us right as you started to answer. But why would you apportion blame the way you did? So I, I think it's the responsibility of the players and the veterans, uh, in particular to handle these issues better um i think the way that they reacted uh with kevin love's outburst even tristan thompson when he had his outburst which he he walked back and and said the right things but when you react in that way it empowers the younger guys to kind of act up on their own as well um to to question the coach and when you don't have that buy-in even if it's a, a flawed game plan you're not going to execute that flawed game plan in in any meaningful way and actually give it a fair test run. Um, obviously, Bayline has a huge part in this blame. Uh, Zach Lowe actually said on the Levitard show that the Cavs front office, people in the front office said in August and September that the warning signs were there and they felt like this was going to fail. Keep in mind, training camp had not started preseason had not started he had not had his preseason meltdown yet it was just based on how he ran summer league almost killed dylan windler and just the things he was saying so i i mean that we're we're not talking about the front office but holy shit if that's the case that's a nightmare um but i I really do think that the professionalism from the players was basically non-existent in a lot of these circumstances and I know it's the tendency to put the blame on the guy that is on the way out or is out and try to absolve the guys that are still here because those are the guys that we have to still believe in as fans. Um, but they do share uh, some of the blame here for sure. I think the word to use is petulant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you hear rumblings like, uh, you know, Love didn't like the way that uh, Beeline was handing out offensive rebounding assignments. So instead of crashing or just getting back, he would just loaf up and down the court uh, in protest. Um, the greatest you know, three-second violation ever. Yeah, no kidding. Like the 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 thug st- songs in the locker room. Like 
I just like you read that Shams Varden uh, Kelsey report, and there's some quote from a player like it was them trying to, or maybe it wasn't a quote from a player, but so they were trying to make the best of an awkward situation. Is that you making the best of it? No, it's not. Of course not. <laughs> You're doing it to giggle and and uh, you know under undercut the guy. And which, sorry to cut you off here, but one thing we talked about immediately after that situation was. If the players don't feel he's sincere, or if this is something that truly bothers him, uh, them he has to go. And, and it was to, clear, and, and it was clear that they and it came out after he stepped down, but that they did not feel like he was actually apologetic. He he explained himself, but didn't really apologize. They felt like it was a Freudian slip. Right, right. They they felt like it was the old man autocorrect where it's, you usually say this word here. <laughs> did, did, did you mean to say this? And it, I, I mean, it's Which, it by the way, such a like, bad look. You know, when, when Altman's doing his due diligence, uh, checking in with the players, um, I hope they were honest with him uh, and didn't pretend like they weren't upset and then clearly were, you know? It's just like, it, they just didn't ever make it workable. Um, you know, as I, both me and you had heard about the thug thing well before this report came out. And I think the music, us, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, the, them playing the music with the word thug in it to, to basically mock and taunt Beeline whenever he was in the room. Which I'm so um, glad that anecdote's out there because I've been yeah. laughing at it for too long. Yeah, it's, well, first off, it's hilarious. I think it's <laughs> it really very important is. to know. It is so aggressively passive aggressive. Uh, that you know hats off but the second we heard that I feel like both of us like I don't know if you go back and listen to older pods but you can definitely hear us talking about beeline in the past tense <laughs> like well before he considered stepping down yeah. um, and I think that's why we just kind of knew it was over and you can't come back from you know open disrespect across the locker room veteran supported they tried to ship the vets out it didn't work really um and yeah it was just so yeah I, you know i think the more i think about it i'm leaning more towards 60 40 beeline uh players because mm-hmm. everything the players did that was petulant uh was pretty self-inflicted harm on beeline's part yeah um uh, from the like yes you would expect professionals to handle stuff better but also they shouldn't have to deal with this they shouldn't have to deal with being called thugs in a film session they it, shouldn't have to deal with a coach trying to do two-a-days or schedule a practice on Christmas Day. That, um, that's, the, that's the thing is, okay, so he initiated it. They reacted poorly. He did not adjust to them acting poorly and kept doing his thing. Like, you, there, there's just a lack of self-awareness there that I think is glaring. Yeah, and honestly, it makes you wonder, what the hell happened in these interviews? Um, did, did they not ask? Did he, I mean, he apparently consulted with Billy Donovan, Brad Stevens. They must have told him this. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like this just comes down to like, I'm sorry. I know it's a little problematic. I'm sure uh, if I were in the workplace, this would get me in some trouble. It's not, I'm not in the workplace. This is the problem with hiring an old man, like old people, old, like he's been doing his job one way for so long that asking him to change, even if he said he did in, a, in his interview process, it just... When people are up against it, they dig down on what they believe in uh, when they've been as successful as someone like Beeline's been in his college career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think they should have seen this coming. You know, yeah. 
you you hoped he would be a little bit more flexible, but that's just not really what college coaches are have been historically, especially uber successful ones that have p- coached at power programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just it just hasn't worked. It didn't work. It was a failure. Uh, Altman and Gilbert and whoever was involved in that process should really be. I hope that they're being really hard on themselves in their postmortems. Let's just say that much. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think now, regardless of what you feel about Bickerstaff, he at least does have that NBA experience. He is an NBA coach. Whether or not he's a good or bad one, we'll find out. But I think the problems that may come up with Bickerstaff um, are more normal problems. It's not going to be, as I said, he's not going to be scheduling a, a practice on Christmas. Um, so I, I do want to move on from the Bayline uh, thing and kind of get into what we've seen so far in the Bickerstaff era. And one adjustment that I noticed um, through these two games is there has been a change in the rotation and it's a subtle one. Darius Garland was always the first guard to check out and then he would run um, the, the second unit. We are now seeing that Kevin Porter Jr. has checked in in both games for Sexton in the first quarter and, and played out there with Garland and, and the starters. Then they come out after nine minutes. Um, I, I want to get your kind of quick thoughts on that. And, and do you think that that's something that they'll continue playing with moving forward? Um, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I don't think I, I feel very strongly about it other than KPJ being the one to be getting those minutes as opposed to an Exum or a Deli. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> like, I really do think that that's, that's really what's interesting here is KPJ playing with starters, um, playing starters minutes against starters. Uh, mixed results in these first two games. Gets tossed mm-hmm. against Washington and has pretty much a nightmare experience against uh, Miami. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's fine. Uh, I think that it makes sense and on Porter's trajectory that he would do this. I mean, obviously he's pressing a little bit too hard there, but yeah, you know, the guard rotation can only kind of work so many ways. Right that, now. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, those three guards are going to be playing 28 minutes a game at least um, that they, they're all going to be getting a lot of time and they all have to learn how to play with one another. And um, I, I think what we're seeing out of Colin Sexton with his, improved passing is making it easier to kind of play around with different things. Um, I, I actually tweeted the salary before the podcast, but uh, over the last 15 games, so that's basically since the start of January, um, Sexton's assist percentage when Garland is off the floor is 25.6. That's, that's really, really encouraging. And with Garland on the floor, it's 15.7, which is higher than it was even last season on average. So Sexton's learning how to create opportunities and, and what opportunities his athleticism will create and how to capitalize on that. He's doing that no matter who he's on the floor with. And if he is starting to, to play um, a more unselfish game, that allows you to kind of, hey, you're going to run the offense here uh, for extended stretches with uh, the bench, with the starters. You, you can stagger them in different ways. Yeah, in the month of February, Sexton has four, seven, two, three, six, three, two, and nine assists, uh, a handy 4.7 a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that nine assist game really throws the curve, but uh, heading into – so he's got uh, three games with at least five assists, 
he had had one, two, uh-oh, three, four, five, five total games with at least five assists mm-hmm. uh, heading into the month of February. He's already got three here. Yeah, um, no, it, it's really encouraging. It's very encouraging. And, and here's what I like about it. So um, his touches like his usage has been the same basically throughout the season his touches have gone up in january and february uh it was 56 a game uh the first few months of the season or and then in january sorry i'm going off memory january went up to 65 a game it's up to 70 now if he was getting those touches early in the season if he was getting 70 touches in november december and playing the way he was there would have been a full-on riot amongst his teammates. But now that he's actually starting to develop and understand the game and what defenders are giving him a little bit more, it's, it's actually functioning. Like, it, it's working well. And you have Garland, who's bringing the ball up. Um, I, I believe he's at 5.5 assists, uh, basically, since, uh, like, the last 15 games or so. Um, but he's coming up. He's running the offense. He's getting them into sets. But Sexton's understanding that I can get by my primary defender fairly easily. And now instead of being blocked at the rim, you're seeing dump off passes, uh, driving kick opportunities. He, he's reading what the defense is giving him and it's making him more efficient. It's creating opportunities for teammates and, and it's nothing advanced. It, it's just an understanding of what's happening on the floor because he plays at a hundred miles an hour. So it takes him a little while to figure these things out. Yeah. Um, I'm fairly encouraged. Uh, I think he's playing fairly well. I do. I'm not super interested in. I like. I guess I'm. I'm not super confident that this is some ter- ter- or some corner being turned. You know, like I think he's pretty much. I you know I don't think we're gonna see Sexton an average five assists a game the rest of the season. Um, I, I think we can see four if he's at four with what he's doing. Uh, four I'm, is I'm getting close to functional. I'm I'm pretty damn happy with four as from a combo guard like that. That is what you see from um, guys like Gary Harris or uh, like a Lou Williams type. And it, I I think that if he's at that and he stays this efficient, I'm I'm very happy with that to close out the year because that goes that's that's longer than what we saw last year from him. Like that that is basically starting from the beginning of January where these assist rates are starting to go up. And as we've mentioned before, he's not going to have an advanced understanding of how to create shots for guys, but his athleticism and what he's able to do offensively is going to create opportunities for other guys because he draws that much attention. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I don't have much to say just because I really want to write it out, but I have been encouraged by his play. And uh, obviously Miami was a bloodbath, but Washington was very encouraging for Garland as well. So here's hoping that I think if if we're looking for anything uh, for the rest of the year, it's those the the three guards, uh, the three young guards, finding some synergy and contributing to some winning basketball. Yeah. Um, we've seen some signs. That's that's as far as I'm willing to go right now. But no, that, that's fair. Signs. But at the same time, I I think in um, to be fair is we we have to because we've criticized Sexton when he's had short stretches of struggling I think it's worth noting especially because we are now starting to get to the point where it's hey this is a 15 game sample where he's been doing this um I I think that that's noteworthy and deserves some praise for sure 
You um, know what I'm significantly more interested in talking about? Garland? Border? Andre Drummond's minutes. That's fair. Yeah. No, it's I, really interesting because on one hand, you had someone on Twitter being a little sensationalistic saying he's falling out of the rotation. He's only played 22 minutes in the last two games. And he ended up playing. Well, no, it was in the Miami. one game. <laughs> well, no, because Atlanta, he also played 22 minutes. Gotcha. Um, in both their wins, mind you. And I think I don't know what I or anyone else would have expected other than this, where who, whatever center is playing better while the Cavs are playing better, um, we'll get more minutes between him and Thompson. That's the thing about this situation where you really, really, really cannot afford to bench Tristan Thompson if he's having a good game. Right. No, um, absolutely. It's just, it's not where the team's at. It's not where Thompson is as a player. Like you, he's not some scrub that you can just say, oh, well, we're paying. We think Andre is going to opt into his player option next year. So we got to make sure he gets to at least 32 minutes. So you're stuck at 16. Sorry, buddy. Like Thompson's going to expect at least 20 minutes a game uh, on, on any given night. Mm-hmm. And by, extension that leaves Drummond with only 28 i mean this is going to be an adjustment for him i think he's gonna <laughs> unless really... we keep seeing more minutes yeah. with them together which i i, yeah, I don't think I either hope, of us like. i certainly hope not he has never played in his career uh less than 29.7 or 29.7 minutes per game hmm. uh, other than his rookie year where he played 21 uh so let's just say i don't think that's going to be i don't think he's going to be near these numbers for the rest of this season while tristan thompson's on the roster tristan's just too good to justify um sitting him when he's not playing well now i do think there's going to be games where tristan doesn't seem to have it or seems a little worn down uh and drummond is and drummond's on fire and you know distributing he's made some really nice passes early in his Cavs career i've noticed it especially in the of the outlet variety Mm -hmm. um so, you know, maybe if Drummond's really feeling it and the, and the boards are – he's controlling the boards and uh, playmaking and finishing and cleaning up around the basket, and he, he might play 34 minutes and Tristan's stuck with 14. Um, but to expect 30 minutes every night for Drummond I think is actually foolhardy, and to expect that is to set yourself up to be wrong. I mean, this is why we gave up a second round pick for him, right? This is, we're testing things out. Hey, you're going to have to outplay Tristan Thompson to get those minutes. Uh, We need to test to see how you fit in our system, how you connect with the young guys. He's going to need to actually play hard, um, which I I think he has been. Uh, One thing worth noting is he did get in foul trouble in the Washington game in the first half. That cut into his minutes a little bit. But I I do think it's still a noteworthy trend when Tristan's playing well. His minutes are going to suffer. There's only 48 minutes a game at center. I just don't know what to tell people. Right. No, it, it, they're absolutely going to suffer. Um, and then we, we saw against Miami, um, he was laying off Bam out of bio, and that was creating passing lanes, cutting lanes. Uh, Bam had a lot of space to operate. And these are the type of things that we're playing with and experimenting on. Hey, do we want to invest in Andre Drummond? Um, this is why you, you give up a second round pick that likely isn't going to matter because it's the Warriors pick and they're likely going to be good again. Um, and we might get a year and a half to, to test this out. And if he can't outplay Tristan Thompson, or if there are still these glaring issues, 
that's better than, okay, we threw him a contract this summer because we, we had cap space and there's no one else to, to spend it on. Um, it's in both parties' best interest for him to, to opt in and to try things out this summer uh, because there's not a lot of teams that have cap space. I mean, I mean, other than the Cavs option, you have Detroit, which I don't think he's going back to Detroit. You have Memphis, who has big men and likely isn't going to be throwing drum in a contract. And I, I think there's one other team, um, if that. Um, so it, it makes most sense for him to stick it out, opt in, and then we can test things out next season. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we, you said opt in, correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, I hope I did. I think you said opt out, but also my brain is a little fried. Um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of what I would like to see at this point. I don't think that uh, – the only way I want to see Drummond opt out is uh, if Giannis wins a title and signs a Supermax. Because all of a sudden, uh, cap space uh, matters again. Um, and bad contracts that people want to get off of matter again. Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole free agency landscape changes a lot. Um, yeah, th- there's a realistic chance that both Tristan and Andre get signed and traded this summer. Like, yeah. That- which is I, fine. I, th- I think it's possible. Like, it, and if you get anything in in that trade, I, I think it, it's ultimately a win. It's a good asset management, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, and honestly, I, I would need to double check the free agency uh, slate to see how Giannis signing would affect what the Cavs would do with all their open room. So, probably talking out of my ass a little bit there, but mm-hmm. ultimately, I think that. I think that it makes sense to me uh, that you would kind of just want him to opt in and see what you got because you're not going to do much better with that cap space. And we just saw that they – He's uh, a really good player. He's yeah. probably the best player We saw the deadline <laughs> that cap space doesn't buy you as much as it used to. No. Um, at least in the short term. I, I, th- I think that, in all fairness, I do believe that that was a this season thing just because of how poor the free agent crop is. I do think uh, expiring contracts next year will have a little bit more value. Sure, um, and he would be a, one in yeah. an opt-in is what I'm saying. Correct. Um, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I just would rather keep him because I don't think this – I don't think a pot of gold is coming to the Cavaliers this offseason. And I guess you could make the um, – you could make a very uh, fair case that, hey, the Cavs are making assumptions that might not hold true. Maybe mm-hmm. there will be some mega deal that they could have come in and, you know, sharked off a couple first-round picks if they just had kept the space. I also think it's worth noting, um, I think they have a much – I think they made this trade uh, assuming they're going to have a better chance of moving Kevin Love this summer. Yeah, and no, 100%. And speaking of uh, – things that would change if if uh, Giannis wins a, wins a title and re-signs. Uh, Kevin Love becomes 200% more tradable? 300? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it's also worth noting uh, that there was the Lloyd report, and it had been mentioned before, though, uh, that Portland had offered Whiteside and Bazemore for Kevin Love. So straight up expirings. You didn't have to offer a pick uh, up for Portland to get off the contract. So um, I, I think we now have somewhat of a baseline. And I, I do agree. I think it's going to be easier to move Kevin Love this summer no matter what. Um, I, I I guess there's an outside chance that, that him and Drummond um, like playing with one another. They do fit well. 
um, and that they give next season a little bit of a shot, which, hey, that, that would be fun. You, you have Garland and uh, KPJ coming back with, with a full off season, bigger, stronger, uh, more experienced. Sexton is going to keep improving because the, the one thing I know about Sexton, whatever the hell his ceiling is, he's going to hit it. And, and that's a, a great trade for a player to have. Um, and then you have the pot of gold that you just took a big shit on, which is Dylan Windler, who who will be in the mix without a coach trying to kill him. Easy. <laughs> you know I believe in Dylan. Uh, <laughs> get well, buddy. I'm sorry. Boots. I'm sorry that uh, that the coach that should have taken care of you has ruined your career. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry that mean old man ran you into dust. <laughs> For a summer league win. Oh. oh, well, that's the funniest thing was that they mentioned that the Cavs were, what were so they practicing, gassed. Justin. They, they were they, so gassed from the two a days that they couldn't even compete in the games. <laughs> what were they? What were they trying to? Was he trying to teach the system? Did anyone tell him these guys weren't going to play on the team? I don't know. <laughs> Ah. Thank thank God Darius Garland was not on that team. Same with KPJ, but Garland in particular, like he was Darius would have been in a fine powder at the end of that. He he would be on an iron lung at that point. Like it, he, you could tell he was wearing down and I don't think anybody needed this all-star break more than him. And it's nice to see his efficiency kind of come up in these two games since the break. And I really hope that lasts for the season. But my God, if he was in summer league, he might've died. Yep. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God for uh, that period of our lives being over. And just looking forward to the new terrors that await. Do you have yeah. any uh, parting thoughts here, Carter, before we wrap this thing up? Um, you're, uh, you're running uh, solo without me the rest of the week. I'm going to be in Sa- Seattle on a work trip. Uh, thank you so much for um, constantly uh, filling in uh, when I uh, abandon you. And uh, uh, another trip that isn't Winnipeg. Yeah, I am taking note of this, you know. Yeah, the, the, there's isn't a thriving esports scene in Winnipeg, as far as I've uh, I've heard. Yeah, that's because you don't do your research. You don't do your research on the Cavs, and you don't do it on Winnipeg. We're we're all about those esports. I think that's absolutely fair and absolutely correct. Uh, the Cavs are about to get their teeth kicked in for the next <laughs> two weeks. Uh, so. Uh, Versus Miami, versus Philly, at New Orleans, versus Indiana, versus Utah, versus hey, at least Boston, Indiana versus lost Denver. by like forty-five today. That, that might yeah, be... so they'll be pissed. Great versus San Antonio uh, through March eighth. So the Cavs will likely not win a game uh, until March tenth when they go to at Charlotte or at Chicago, at Charlotte, at Atlanta um, on a five-game road trip, six-game road trip. Sorry. Um, so everything's terrible. Um, all the goodwill from the dead coach bounce uh, has been lost. Go Cavs. You forgot my bet online safe bet that the Cavs were going to win two games of that stretch. We already got one, Carter, and I'm always right, as you know. Yeah! <laughs> I, I should have worded that like a David tweet. I'm, yeah, I'm looking should've. forward to more, more of those as we tailspin into another tough stretch of the schedule. <laughs> but I will miss you, buddy. Have fun in Seattle. Um, go listen to Nirvana or whatever people do there. Um, esports, apparently. How about that? I uh, want to thank Garter. want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, remember, if you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe to help cook those books. You can also support us directly by subscribing to the Chase Down Premium, just 99 cents for your first month, five bucks a month after that. 
give us a shot. Uh, I got another youth report that I'll likely be recording later tonight. Uh, so that will be making its return there. We also got breaking news pods and tons of fun stuff that uh, we're, we're working on for that. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. So thanks again to Carter. Thanks to our listeners. Until next time, go Cavs. Go Cavs!